River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. This morning, what I made a decision to do um, was to think about a, together, uh, an Old Testament account that is very familiar. Very familiar story, I think, to most of us. And I want to start by looking at a couple of pictures that were drawn by some children, not in our church, but some pictures I found uh, online uh, that were done that were, uh, they're telling the story of, of the book of Jonah. Okay, the book of Jonah. I love this one. Do you see the Macy's store in the background? I didn't know Macy's had been around that long. Um, but uh, just some cool pics. I love Jonah. There's a little bubble down there. Um, one more. Go to the next one. This picture actually contains my favorite character from the book of Jonah. Anybody know who it is? It's the worm. Do you see the little purple worm on the side of the tree? You don't, you don't see him? He's sneaking up the side of the tree just above where it says, Way to go, Jonah. In, in Jonah chapter 4 verse 7, the Bible says this, And God appointed a worm. I love that. But we're not going to talk about that today. You may want to go read about that later on today. Maybe as a family, I'd encourage you to, to, to go read. We're, we're, going to, we're going to deal with Jonah chapter 1 today. Jonah chapter, we're going to do the whole chapter today. So I hope you brought your lunch boxes. No, we're, we're not going to do that. But here's, here's what I want to do to help you grasp the depth and the, the marvel of Jonah chapter 1. And so that you could be able to, if you were ever asked by anybody, like maybe when you get to heaven and Jonah asks, well, what did you think of the first chapter of my book? You'll be able to tell him exactly what that book was about. And the way that I want to teach you that is we're going to, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand now and we're going to do a responsive reading together. Okay, where I read something and you say something back to me. Okay, can you bring that responsive reading up? So if you would, go ahead and stand. And we're going to do this together. This responsive reading has some, some body movement to it though. Okay, some body movement to it. So you're going to warm you up a little bit. I'm going to show it to you and then I'm going to let you do it back to me. God says, go. Jonah says, no, not, not going to happen. God says, blow. Got that hand sign? Okay. Then the uh, Jonah says, so, so. You got you to you get it. You got to kind of cock your, so. Okay, you, you got that? Okay. Then captain says, bro. You know, it's kind of what's up, bro. Okay. And then Jonah says, throw. Okay. And the sailors say, whoa. And then the big fish says, oh. Okay. So you ready to do, read this responsively? I'm going to read the God says part. And then what you're going to have to do, or the says part, what you're going to have to do is you're going to need to do the responsive reading with the hand motions. You ready? Here we go. God says, Jonah says, God says, Jonah says, Captain says, Jonah says, Sailors say, Big Fish says, 
Very good. Give yourselves a hand. Now you, you can be seated now. You have responsibly made your way through the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Okay? So you can tell all your friends, you know, what you, what you did in church this week. Okay? Now here's what I want us to do. If you've got your Bibles, open them to, to Jonah chapter 1. Obviously we're going to be in Jonah. Um, and, and I want to start there. We're going to work our way through. I'm not going to do the whole reading right now. But we're going to work our way through the entire chapter of Jonah. Uh, this first chapter today. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. And it's going to come up on the screen. Okay? Now. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. If you're reading this in your Bible and you underline in your Bible, you may, may want to underline the word great. It is used an awful lot throughout this first chapter. You want to remember that word because it's going to come up several times. He says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now here's the deal. In Israel, the nation of Israel, Jonah was a prophet. He was not a priest. In Israel, there, you know, priests served in the temple. They offered sacrifice. They led worship. Um, the, the, a prophet was a different kind of character altogether. They were just completely kind of different people. A prophet was like a reformer. They wanted to see reform. A, a, a prophet is kind of an activist. Oftentimes prophets were kind of troublemakers, especially for people in authority and in rule. Um, they were always kind of pricking the consciences of the people, of God's people. Now, Israel had lots and lots of priests at any given moment. But generally, Israel could only stomach about one prophet at a time. They just couldn't handle more than one at a time. Now, one day, the word of the Lord comes to this prophet Jonah. And here's the deal. When you're a prophet, life is not always going to be easy. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and it says, Go to Nineveh. Now, when you hear from God, and if you want to, if you pursue it, you will hear from God. Sometimes you're just going to get those three little words. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah was a prophet, but he was a prophet for who? Israel. He was a prophet for the people of God. He wasn't a prophet for these other countries, you know. They weren't kosher. They didn't have a temple. You know, they didn't sacrifice. They, they didn't know God. But God's word comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and call out against it. In other words, he's saying, go to Nineveh and preach, dude. And it wasn't like preach to them the gospel. It was like preach against them. Go in there and just lay them low. Now, folks, I just want to tell you, that is a very, very scary call from God. And I want you to see why. See, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And in the 7th and 8th centuries, the, the Assyrians were the great power in the world. And they just chewed up and spit out other countries left and right. They would decimate entire populations. They would, they would capture them and lead them on, on death marches. They, worse than ISIS. They basically uh, sponsored a, a practice, state-sponsored genocide. 
Now, some of you will remember this uh, as you think about the history of, of the nation of Israel. There was a time when the 12 tribes were together, and then the 12 tribes got split into a northern kingdom where 10 tribes existed, and the southern kingdom where two tribes existed of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, what happened to those 10 northern tribes is the Assyrians came in, captured them, and basically wiped those 10 tribes pretty much off the face of the earth. They were pretty much just wiped out. The Assyrians. Now what was their capital? Nineveh. Their capital was Nineveh. Assyria was hated by the people of God. Now later on there's another prophet that's going to come on the scene named Nahum. And he's also going to prophesy uh, against Nineveh. I want you to see what Nahum prophesies in chapter 3. It's pretty graphic. I know this, but it's in God's word. We need to, need to walk through it. Nahum says this in, in Nahum chapter 3. What sorrow awaits Nineveh? Again, the Old Testament stuff here. The city of murder and lies. That was the title given by many to Nineveh. The city of murder and lies. Never without victims. There are countless casualties. Heaps of bodies. Now listen, just, just think about the, the graphic nature of this. Bodies without number. People stumbling over corpses. And now Nahum's going to prophesy against this city. He says, your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about your demise will clap their hands at your fall. The, the world is going to give a standing ovation when Nineveh falls. Because Nineveh is so hated. It goes on to say that it's because of their endless cruelty. People are just going to applaud when Nineveh falls. Is, is, is what's coming. So if you want to kind of wrap your emotions into this story, you need to think of, of how the Israelites saw Nineveh, kind of like, you know, Europe saw Nazi Germany. Kind of like sometimes people think about Al-Qaeda or ISIS. This was, this was a people that had a pow the power to kill your children, to enslave your parents, to brutalize your family. And so God, through the prophet Nahum, said some very... Very condemning words. Now, when Nahum was prophesying these condemning words against Nineveh, where was he? He was in Israel. He was in the comfort of his, you know, his own people, his own homeland. Okay? What was happening to Jonah? God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Learn to speak Assyrian. And then preach against them face to face. I could almost see, you know, Jonah once he got to heaven say, God, help me understand why you like Nahum better, you know? Why did he get to stay home and do this prophecy thing and you sent me? Couldn't we just done like text or tweet or something? Lord, why'd, we, why'd I have to go? But the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, how did the word come? How did it come? Did an angel show up? You know, was there a still small voice? Was there a vision or a dream? When, when it was over, was there room for doubt in, in the prophet's mind? Well, the scriptures do not specifically tell us how the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Did people around Jonah know that the word of the Lord had come to him? You know, was there like a Mrs. Jonah? Did, did Jonah go home from work one day and Mrs. Jonah said, you know, how was your day at the office, dear? Well, kind of rough. I, you know, my boss told me that I got to go to Assyria and preach against them. 
you know, not, not, not real excited. See, the scriptures don't tell us any of those details. We just know that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, here's the deal about Nineveh. Nineveh was in nobody's comfort zone in Israel. Nineveh is the place God calls you to that you will not want to go. Nineveh is dangerous. Nineveh is fearful. So what do you do when God comes to you and says, go to Nineveh, go to that place that you don't want to go? Because here's the deal. If you walk with God, God will call you to do things that you don't want to do. God will call you to go to places that you don't want to go and say words that you don't necessarily want to say. How do we know the Jonah clearly heard? Well, I think we can tell by his response. Now, what was Jonah's response? You know, I want to wrap our minds around what Jonah did. And one of the best ways to do that is to see visually kind of what happened. Pam, can you bring that map up? Jonah was in Israel. And the Bible tells us that he goes to the port city of Joppa to catch a boat. Now, God had told him to go to Nineveh, which was basically about 550 miles, you know, northeast, if you would, of Joppa. But what does our dear prophet do? He catches a boat going which direction? The exact opposite direction. About as far away as you could sail in that day to Joppa. About 2,500 miles away. That, that's what he does. God says, go to Nineveh. So Jonah gets up the next morning. He responds to the word of the Lord. He leaves his home, but not for Nineveh. He heads in the opposite direction, about as far away as he can go. Then verse 3 says this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The man of God, the prophet of God in the nation of Israel in that day decides to run from God. Now can I just tell you something? Dumb. You, you can't run from God. Just a dumb thing to do. I know from personal experience. But here's, here's the deal. In order for any of us to step into disobedience, to, to step into sin... It requires, first of all, that somehow in our minds we create an illusion that we won't get caught. That God, that God won't see. God, that it, 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 it'll be a secret. You know, I can hide this. I heard a story of, a, of an Alabama football player. Is Ruth here? Yeah, there's Ruth. I, I told this for you, Ruth. An Alabama football player who was having some struggles in his in one of his classes in biology and the professor called him in to his office and who was known as the smartest kid in the class. And he sat both of them down and he said, gentlemen, I have a problem. Um, both of you made the same score on the test and both of you missed the same answer and you sit next to each other. You missed one, one, one together and you missed the same thing. And the football player said, well, that was just a coincidence. And so the professor said, yeah, but um, here, here's the deal. On, on the smartest student's paper, on that question that you both missed, he wrote, I don't know the answer to this question. 
And he said, okay. He said, but, but you wrote, I don't know the answer either. You, you have to create the illusion that you're not going to get caught in order to kind of create this idea that you can run from God, that he won't see, that, you know, in order to disobey, I have to kind of push him back from my mind. I have to kind of do some mental work to eliminate the awareness of God's presence and God's holiness and God's love for me. I have, to, I have to put my mind on other things. You know, if I want to do something wrong, it always involves me running from God. And the truth is, we all do this. Every one of us do this. It happens to everybody in this room. We all have moments when we know that God wants us to have a difficult conversation with a person where truth needs to be spoken, but it would be, it would be hard, and, and I don't want to do it. I run to Tarsus. I know sometimes that God, you know, is calling me to an area, but I don't want to do that. It might be an area of serving somebody else that would cause me to have to humble myself. It might be difficult. It might be scary. I don't want to do it. So I go to Tarsus. You know... Maybe for some, God has been calling you to, to loosen the grip that you have on money. This money has your life in, in a vice. And you know God is saying, trust me. Enough to be generous. Trust me. Test me with this, with the tithe. And see if I will not bless you in ways. Let me show you how much I care for you. But you won't. You're afraid. And so... You catch a ship to Tarshish. Maybe it's something you know that's sin in your life, repetitive, that God wants you to let go of. Maybe it's a habit or a hang-up. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone too far. And you know that God wants you to let it go. Maybe it's a judgmental spirit or a root of bitterness. And you know God wants you to forgive. But you don't want to. So you head for Tarshish. See, this is what Jonah does. He thought, as every one of us sometimes think, I can run from God. I can run in this area of my life. Here's a haunting question today. In your life, as you think across the span of all the complications in your life, where are you running from God? This story in Jonah chapter 1, the whole story is an amazing story. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Verse 3 tells us, he pays a fare, and then he went down into the boat with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord, so Jonah thought. He thought he was getting out of the presence of the Lord. Jonah gets on the ship of Tarshish. Now, one of the things that you need to know about this is that it's not just geographically far away from God's people and the land of God, if you would. Tarshish is significant for other reasons. Because it was a different kind of city. Now, Nineveh, where he, Jonah was told to go, was a city that was built on military might. Tarshish 
was a city of great wealth that was rooted in the trade. Commerce was a big deal to them. Uh, on the seas, they were kind of known as the technology gurus of the day. And it was making people of that day very, very rich in Tarshish. Which is not a bad thing. Until it leads to greed and arrogance and pride. And so when that phrase that you read that, it was a ship for Tarshish or a ship of Tarshish, it became a symbol for wealth in the ancient world. Let me show you where I get that from. Um, in a couple of places in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 2 verses 12 through 16. This is the prophet Isaiah prophesying. He says, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low against all the ships of Tarshish. This is the prophet Isaiah. Again, the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 27 says, the ships of Tarshish serve as carriers for your wares. You satisfied many peoples with your abundant wealth and merchandise. You enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas. In the depths of the waters, your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. See, in the Old Testament, the ships of Tarshish were a big deal. Plus, Tarshish is hard to pronounce. You know, I, I had to practice that a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to say, I want you to do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, ship of Tarshish three times fast. Just go, ship of Tarshish, ship of Tarshish, ship of Tarshish. Did anybody get sprayed by their neighbor? <laughs> okay, yeah. See, the, the ship of Tarshish was symbolic there was something there with this idea of a ship of Tarshish. It's, it's kind of like, you know, there was this people that existed that thought their technology could keep them above anything. That They were self-sufficient and powerful, you know, and they could overcome even God. Can you imagine that there would be a people so arrogant to think that they could do that? You know, a people that maybe live by the sea, who did not think that God could send some ice to shut their commerce and their education centers down as long as he wanted to. Sometimes we are those people. We forget that there is a God who's in control. And sometimes God has to remind us. And so we see Jonah, he runs away. And again, to put it in 21st century kind of thinking in our culture, Jonah runs to Wall Street. He runs to this city of glamour. He runs, to, he runs to Hollywood. People have been heading for that ship generation after generation. He thinks that he's running towards safety. Jonah does. He thinks this is the best bet. I'm going to run towards opportunity. I'm going to run towards security. Maybe he looks at those cities and thinks they're, they're safe. But maybe the only real safe place is where God tells you to go. The place that you don't want to go, the place that may be scary, may end up actually being the best safe house for your soul. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind, there's that word great again, a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, again, that word great is, is throughout this. But now, it's God doing something great. 
God's doing something incredible here. He's sending a wind that's threatening to break up the ship. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. I want you to notice that's a little g, God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. This is a major league storm, folks. These are professional seasoned sailors. They don't panic easily. But they were so scared, they start tossing the cargo, their treasures, if you would, overboard. Now, here's something you need to know about that commerce, that, that trade commerce of that day. Because sailing is different than it is in our day. A ship that would take a voyage like this from Joppa over to Tarshish could take a long time. I mean, it, in some cases, it could take maybe up to a year. And so, for some people, like the owner of a ship, or even the people working on the ship, this may have been their one chance to really score big. This was a great opportunity for, for them to make some big bucks for the owner and probably everybody on board. And what are they doing? They're tossing it into the ocean. They're just throwing it into the sea. And they're crying out. Now, I hope you notice to who. It says, to his own God. Now, in that day, outside of Israel, in the ancient world, most people did not generally believe in one God. They weren't monotheistic. They, they, they didn't believe in one great God. They thought, you know, every little tribe had their own little gods, and their own little gods controlled that own little place on the planet. That was, that was kind of how they thought it worked. You know, sometimes I think, you know, we think that we invented multiculturalism. That somehow we think, you know, our, our culture thinks, yeah, we need to put on display all this religious pluralism stuff. You know, it says they pray to their own God. Now, here's the deal. When the winds are light and the sea is calm, little g-gods suffice. But when the storm starts to rage and things start breaking up and everything changes, turning to little g-gods will not save. Does anybody know what Jonah was doing at this point in the story? Some of you may have read ahead. What was he doing? Dude was snoozing. He was down inside the ship and he was sleeping. And the captain goes and finds him in verse 6. And this is what he says. What do you mean, you sleeper? If any of you still read out of the King James, the King James Version, I love it, it says, What meanest thou, O sleeper? He was for serious, man. What meanest thou? You know, that's what the captain says to him. It's kind of like, dude, what are you thinking, man? What's going on in your head? He goes on to say, arise. Call out to your little G-God. Perhaps your little G-God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, this is really fascinating to me. The irony. There's a lot of irony in this first chapter. There's this pagan, Gentile, ship captain calling the man of God to do what? To pray. This pagan captain is saying, dude, get, get up, man. You're, aren't you, we need to pray. And what was the, the prophet of God doing? He was sleeping when he should have been praying. Pagans are praying, you know, when they don't normally do it. See, it's becoming obvious, I hope, as you walk through this story, that God is up to something. God is stirring up something big. But Jonah is doing absolutely nothing. He's snoring, man. He's snoozing it out. 
Verse 7. So the sailors do the only thing they know left to do. They cast lots. They probably threw bones or something like that to figure out what was going on. And the lot came to Jonah. In other words, whatever they did, I don't know the technicality of it, but it pointed out Jonah's the problem. That dude right there is the problem. So the sailors go to him and ask, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? You know, and of what people are you? In other words, they say, hey dude, what's your story? What, what, what's your story? And so Jonah answers and he says, here's my story. I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The capital G God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Verse 10 says, the men were exceedingly afraid. That word exceedingly is the same word that gets translated as great. Same exact word in the Hebrew. It's, it's this word great again. They were great with great fear. They were overwhelmed by this. It's a great, great big fear. Now, sometimes great fear can mean really good. You know, it, there's, there's, it could be a re really redemptive fear. It could be the kind of fear that the Bible talks about that God says is the beginning of wisdom. There's a good kind of fear. They were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what, what have you done, man? What, what were you thinking? And they say this because the, they, they suddenly remember something. In the, in the scripture it says, For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the capital L-O-R-D Lord. Because he had told them this. He had already told them this. Now, there's something, again, very deep and rich going on here. And to understand it, you've got to read through the scripture slowly and look at some of the specific words. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament uses different words to, that get translated as God. There's a word Elohim, and that's kind of a generic title, if you would, for God. Sometimes it's even used in the lowercase. Then there's Adonai, which has to do with God as Lord, kind of ruler, master. And that's usually capitalized L, but then lowercase O-R-D. That's, that's Adonai. And um, sometimes that word Adonai even gets used in, in human relationships. The Bible tells us uh, in the Old Testament that Sarah called her husband, uh, Abraham, uh, Adonai. Called him Lord. Kids, how many of your moms call your dad's Lord at, at your house? Does that ever happen at your house? No hands? Well, it doesn't ever happen at my house either, just so you know. But that, that, when you see capital L, lowercase r-o-r-d, you know that that's Adonai. But when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the specific name of Yahweh. That's what it's translated from, is from Yahweh. And that is the name that God revealed himself as to Moses. Yahweh God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in most English Bibles, like in our house Bible, those capitals, all four letters, that's a personal, relational God. Now back to the story real quickly. Sailors have been praying a bunch to their little tribal gods, their little Elohims, and they ask Jonah, hey, what's going on? And Jonah says, there's a capital G God, dude. There's one God. And he is the God who created the seas and the land. That's something they would understand. Now remember, they thought, they thought of these little tribal gods that, you know, he's this dude from Israel and he had this little tribal God. But now he's saying, my God is bigger than that. My God is the expanse of everything. And the sailors knew that Jonah was running from what they thought was a little G God. But now they're finding out 
something different. See, they thought the Assyrians had a little G-God. Tarshish had a little G-God. Israel had, you know, a little G-God is what they thought. But now they're finding out something else is going on. And they see Jonah and they see the storm. And there is a capital G God that is now coming into their view. He's the one that sent the storm and they're nowhere near Israel. He's the one that sent this incredible storm. He's real. And he reigns over all heavens and all earth. And he wants to be known by name. And the Bible tells us that this strikes them with an incredibly great fear. When they come to know that there is the capital G God that Jonah is running from. And he's right here on this ship of Tarshish in the middle of a storm. And something really cool is happening. Now, one of the reasons that I think that they are going to actually believe that Jonah is speaking the truth is because in this moment, he's a major screw up. He's confessed his sin. He's confessed that he's running from God. He's confessed his brokenness. He is pointing it out that right now I'm in the middle of error in my own life. Folks, sometimes the best way that the people out in the world will come to see the glory of God is not when you are beating over the heads with your Bible, but when they're seeing you living out of the grace of God when you've screwed up, when you've blown it like Jonah has. See, one of the things that the writer of this book, I think, wants us to get is, is it's not about human planning. Jonah didn't plan any of this. So in this story, the sea keeps getting worse, rougher. The storm's getting stronger. And the sailors ask in verse 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Now, now just imagine this. Jonah, Jonah's going to tell them. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea and it will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And now for the very first time, Jonah says, I'm not running anymore, God. I'm done with the run. God, whatever it takes, whatever the cost is, I am not running anymore. And then this story takes another really incredible turn. Look at this in verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. These guys, these sailors, seem to be, they don't want to sacrifice Jonah. They seem to care, their lives are at stake. And they have compassion on this total stranger. And this is kind of an amazing thing because these are Hebrew scriptures, okay? And this story, the, the, the sailors of Tarshish, these foreigners, have greater compassion than the man of God had on Nineveh. They have greater compassion on him. And I think one of the things that the writer here, being inspired by God, wants us to understand is when you're, when you're out in the world, you need to be careful how you're judging people. You need to be careful knowing who's doing God's will. Because sometimes it may be the most unlikely people. You have to be very careful of making snap judgments. There's just no room for spiritual superiority or exclusivity or judgmentalism among the people of God. And I think the writer wants us to know this. So these sailors of Tarshish have compassion. They're risking their own lives. And so now 
They say a prayer. They've been praying to their, their little G gods, but I want you to notice who they're praying to now. Therefore, they called out to the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. O Lord, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, have done as it pleased you. What they're saying is, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, we recognize you're sovereign over everything. We recognize you do as you please. I think the writer here is hitting us over the head with this reality. They come to know Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah. Now again, just imagine this moment. They take him to the side of the boat, horrible storm raging, terrified sailors, runaway prophet, and they toss him over. Boat's about to sink. Can you imagine what's going through Jonah's mind in that toss? I think Jonah thought he was going to die. Can't prove that, but I think Jonah thought, it's over now. I, I'm, I'm going to die. But he was tired of running. He didn't have any more run left him. And so now Jonah's in the water. It says they picked him up, they hurled him into the sea. Jonah's in the water. But I want you to go back to the deck for a minute. It says the sea ceased from its raging. On the deck, everything's calm. Storm is done. You know, sometimes, sometimes when you and I run from God long enough, sometimes when we live in the storms of our own disobedience, sometimes we pay a price. We always pay a price when we run from God. You may be paying a relational price right now with somebody that you have sinned against. Maybe it's a storm that's hit. Maybe it's going on in your own heart, in your own soul. Maybe it's because of something hidden and you're trying to hide the raging storm that's going inside you. And you get to that place where you finally say, all right, God, I stop. I'm not running. My life, my behavior, my relationships, my time, my money, my secret hidden habits, my attitude, fill in the blank, whatever. They're yours, God. God, I'm not running anymore. And oftentimes when you get to that point, you may feel like you're about to die. You may just feel like, you know, but then the, stomp, the storm that's going on begins to calm down. One of the beauties about the book of Jonah is you can see, you can see Jesus all through it. If you know the Gospels and you read the book of Jonah, you're going to see images of the life of Jesus unfolding. You know, there was a time when Jesus was in a boat and he was sleeping and a storm hit. And he calmed the storm. And one of the things you need to know about Jesus is he still does that today. He will calm the storms in your life. I love that line again. The men feared the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. They feared him exceedingly. They feared him with this great fear. And then the Bible goes on and says, and they offered a sacrifice to who? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital. They were worshiping God. And they made vows to him. 
They made, they made acts of commitment. They showed their devotion. Folks, this is like freaky stuff. This is unbelievable. This pagan boat becomes a place of worship. The ship of Tarshish becomes like the temple of the living God. Now, do you think that was in Jonah's daytimer? I mean, do you think that was his plan? That he planned all that out? No. But God had other plans. Jonah was heading in the other direction. But it turns out that these sailors on this ship aren't some bit players in a play. They're part of the big story of God. And it turns out that God's story is so big that it has room for sailors of Tarshish. People that are far from God. And it turns out that even while the person of God is running away from God, God is taking care of his business. See, Jonah thought he could stop what God wanted to do. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want Ninevites to repent. He didn't want the gospel of the good news that they're loved by God. He didn't want that to come. But it turns out God is at work in ways that Jesus can't even begin to dream of, even in Jonah's mess. Reminds me of Romans 8, 28. God is at work doing all things for his good to those who love him and are called according purposes. Even when we're screwing up. Even when we're messing up. Man, what a God we serve. He's a great big God. Now, can you imagine how this would play out when the Israelites read this for the first time? This story about this faithful prophet of God from Israel messing up and God still getting glory in pagan peoples. That's who God is. But the story doesn't end there. It's a fabulous story. There are only three more chapters. I encourage you. Maybe, maybe here's what you want to do over lunch. Maybe you want to read those last three chapters. They're really short. And then talk about it while you're eating. The, these sailors of Tarshish come to know God and it's a new day for them. But for Jonah, this little adventure is really just beginning. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish... To swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. God still has something wonderful awaiting Jonah. This is an incredible book. Again, you may want to read this together as families. But for us, I want to stop here. And I just want to, I just want to point out a couple of things. First of all, it is never too late to quit running from God. Never too late to quit running. And... It's never too early to quit running from God. Now, I don't, I don't know where you're running from God at today. People around you, closest to you, may not know where you might be running from God today. Maybe it's in secret, hidden ways. Maybe you're not even hardly aware of it right now, but the Spirit of God has begun moving in you since you came into this room and looked at God's Word, and you're beginning to see where you're running from God. Or maybe you're here and you're in the middle of an incredible storm. And the invitation for you today is from Jesus is turn around and just run to me. Keep running, but just change your direction. Quit running from me and start running to me. Running from me doesn't work. Running from me wrecks you. So here's what I want to challenge us today. For the remainder of this week maybe... Would you reflect and just listen and ask God, God, is there any place in my heart, in my life, in my soul, my relationships, that you are calling me to Nineveh? Is there any place? Is there something, God, that you are asking me to do 
and I've been resisting you. It's not too late to look back on 2017 and say, God, have, is there a place in my life where I've been resisting you? Maybe relationally. Maybe financially. Maybe with a secret sin. Maybe something in hiddenness. Let's take this next coming week and give the Lord space to say you're running here. Turn around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know us. You know our hearts, our minds. You know that the truth about us is we're all runners. The whole bunch of us in this building today. There's a Jonah in us. We get scared sometimes. We want what we want sometimes. We try to push back an awareness of you out of our thoughts. We try to flee your presence and yet always, God, the good news is that you are at work in ways that we can't even begin to imagine, in ways we can't maybe even see yet, but you're at work making yourself known, letting your glory come and letting it even fall on us. Heavenly Father, we pray right now especially for those spiritual struggles, those places in our own hearts where we're running from you. Right now we just pause and listen, Holy Spirit. Point it out. Point it out. Because we want to turn around at that point in our lives and we want to run to you. Maybe you've been running the wrong way for a long time. And right now, you just need to hear the Lord say, come back to me. C come back home to me. Heavenly Father, would you help each of us right now, in your own way, in your own time, to quit, to quit our running? Would, would you help us, dear God? Would you help us show us how to put our trust in you would you show us how life is better when we run to you and we run with you into this world show us how to trust you that way God we want to be those people who when you say go we trust you and we go no matter where no matter into what we want to be those people in 2018. We want to be that church in this coming year. Help us, oh God, we pray, to put our total trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 930 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.